Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. We're going to have some fun on this Thursday. Who should be the next host of Jeopardy? A very interesting choice has thrown his hat into the ring and basically demanded the job. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Plus, the Thursday three and what not to watch. Yep. I love this new feature because it saves us a lot of time because some of the most heavily promoted stuff on over-the-top television, Netflix at all, is really crap. Listen, I'm saving people more time, not since the invention of the microwave oven. <laughs> Has there been such a time saver, my friend? All right, we'll get to all that, but first reminding you that the podcast with Richard Roper and Rokan is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. AmericanEagle.com, the digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing to drive your overall business success because they believe today's online environment is your opportunity. Get started today at AmericanEagle.com. Speaking thereof, the Oscar contest, this is your last day to register. Well, depending on when you're listening to this. It might be too late already. Sorry. If you want to take part in Beat the Experts and tell us how much you know about movies and uh, what you think is going to happen in the Academy Awards coming up next weekend, you got to do it now at AmericanEagle.com slash ballot. And one lucky winner is going to win a prize package of a bunch of really cool movie and streaming series goods. We're talking coffee mugs and T-shirts. There's a suitcase that I, I'll never tell you guys about until you win it. Then we'll tell the story behind the suitcase. Coffee table books, uh, promotional items, all kinds of cool stuff that you can't get at any store. So you'll have that insider swag to your swagger. So who is going to replace Art Fleming on Jeopardy? Okay, form of a question, please. I know, he was he was a Jeopardy host oh. a billion years ago before Alex Trebek. But the real question now, because Jeopardy has become such a cultural phenomenon over the decades, can Alex Trebek even be replaced? Well, you know, I always think the term, and as someone, and you and I are going to talk a little bit about this, uh, coming in and stepping into shoes and doing new partnerships, and I always would say, with At The Movies, which eventually became Ebert and Roper, I did not replace Gene Siskel because he could not be replaced. I succeeded him in the time frame of the show. And Alex Trebek really was the perfect host for Jeopardy! Row. I, I always likened him to a great NFL referee or a home plate umpire. His job really was to keep things moving, to make a call once in a while, but not really be the star of the show. When you think about it, Alex Trebek, there's not like, people didn't, you know, talk all the time. Did you hear what Trebek said on <laughs> Jeopardy? He's wacky. He kept things moving. Every once in a while, he'd throw in a little dry comment. He'd mm -hmm. call a nerd the king of the nerds or something, and then it would go viral. But his main thing was to be this kind of very comforting, professorial voice who mm -hmm. would introduce us to the contestants, move things along, and he had this kind of, and it was part of it, I say this with all due respect as a compliment, this a little bit of this smugness, because of course he knew all the answers because he had the blue cards there in front of him, so he'd be like, you'd, some, somebody would say, who is Constantinople, and he'd be like, are you kidding me? No, that's not right. But he had this great skill set for moving things along, making it entertaining, making it all about the questions, or if you want to call them the answers and the questions. Mm -hmm. It really even wasn't that much about the contestants unless it was Ken Jennings or somebody making a legendary run. It was, can you play along at home? Absolutely. And he was about as great a host as you can get. Pat Sajak, 
who is his counterpart on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. Now, these are two completely different kinds of shows, right? You don't have to be a genius for Wheel of Fortune. But there's something that is so... <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, but there is something that is so addictive about both of these because you're solving a puzzle. You're showing off your knowledge. You're trying to beat somebody at their game. And there's a reason that those two franchises have been so enduring. And it's in part because of the hosts. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you mentioned Pat Sajak, who's been doing it forever. And people watch it go, anybody could do that. Well, people always say that about any job where someone makes it look super easy. Right. And there have been a few occasions when Pat Sajak couldn't do the show for a family purpose or not really vacation because you can tape in advance. But there have been a few occasions where someone else has done Wheel of Fortune and all of a sudden they're messing it up and they're just they're, they're more self-conscious. And I think we've seen that. Uh, with some of the guest hosts they've had on Jeopardy so far. Some have done a better job than others. Mm -hmm. So uh, here's the list so far and in the near future. Uh, we had Ken Jennings for a couple of weeks, the great contestant, who's a very funny and witty guy. I honestly didn't think he did the greatest job as host. It's he not was okay. what his thing it's is. It's not his thing. The executive producer, Mike Richards, was there, and I thought that was just a nice way for him to pay tribute to Alex Trebek. They're not going to have Mike Richards take over the job. Katie Couric... Dr. Oz. Uh, no, right, well, now there was a problem with the whole Dr. Oz situation. Yeah, yeah well, it got people very upset because Dr. Oz does like to pull out stools and look at them, uh, yeah. stick well, his finger in them. Some controversial opinions. Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, and that's fine. That's more stunt casting. Anderson Cooper, Bill Whitaker, of course, from CBS News, uh, Savannah Guthrie, even uh, Mayim Bialik, the Big Bang Theory star. Some of these have not yet had their stint this is going up into the summer i think anderson cooper would be a great host he has all the necessary charm and intelligence and suaveness i don't think he wants to do it he's got a lot of gigs already right same thing with dr sanjay gupta i mean you know dr sanjay gupta is very well respected he's on tv a lot all of a sudden he's going to be doing jeopardy he's also a brain surgeon and he does that in the mornings he literally goes to surgery at five o'clock in the morning wow does brain surgery until noon. Then he goes over to CNN. Oh, I didn't realize he was still a practicing Absolutely. brain surgeon. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, but then he'd be one of the few people who could go on the set of his show and say, look, folks, this is not brain surgery. <laughs> I did brain surgery yeah, earlier no. today. No. But he's not going to do it. No. But you mentioned uh, somebody who's really been uh, actively campaigning, and we're talking about the great LeVar Burton. Uh, who has got a petition going and is actively out there. And you say, wait a minute, LeVar Burton, the actor, but, you know, he pointed out, and, and his you know proponents and backers have pointed out, he did PBS's Reading Rainbow mm -hmm. for years. He spent, uh, that, we're talking about like 25 years of doing that. He's got a podcast called LeVar Burton Reads, where he talks about his favorite fiction. He was a champion on Celebrity Jeopardy. He loves the show. Mm -hmm. He checks off all the boxes. Do you think, Rokan... That LeVar Burton will be the next permanent host of Jeopardy. I think what LeVar Burton has done is he's taken what would be an easy putt by going, oh, if they're interested, I'll do it, into a campaign that is a little over the top. He's talking about how he grew up watching Jeopardy mm. when he was like eight years old. He wanted to be on Jeopardy and he wanted to get the final Jeopardy right. And he did that in Celebrity Jeopardy and he knocked that off his bucket list. It's a little too much. I'll be honest. It's the campaigning that bothers me. I don't think he needs to campaign. I think if he had just said, hey, you know, I'm interested if they're interested in me, people go, okay, yeah, LeVar Burton, we could do that. 
now that he really wants it that badly, it's almost like you don't want to give it to him. It's sort of like political races where the early wannabes are out there in New Hampshire and Iowa like seven years before the election, not even the next election. They're already they're campaigning for 2032 and, and get, you know, and, and getting domain names, you know, Senator Nobody dot com for president or whatever. <laughs> right and it, they always seem to, you know, they, they get 12 percent of the vote early on in the polls and then they're they're gone. He's the Jeb you know? Bush of Jeopardy. Is maybe, that what you're maybe saying? Maybe so. Yeah. If you got to you know, say you want it that much. And as I alluded to, Ro, you know, after our friend, the late great Gene Siskel passed away, Roger Ebert and the at the movies franchise, the Siskel and Ebert franchise made the decision that they were going to continue. They were going to eventually have a permanent co-host with Roger. And for more than a year, he had co-hosts. And it was everybody from Martin Scorsese to famed and respected film critics to celebrities and actors who were never going to be the permanent co-host because that was a show that taped every week in Chicago. And you'd have to go see all the movies. There was you know quite a bit of work involved before you got to do the show. When they contacted me about filling in for a week, I didn't think of it for a second as an audition. I just thought this would be a really cool thing to do. And as the weeks and months went by and they narrowed it down to about two or three candidates, it finally dawned on me, because they'd asked me to do it about eight or nine times, that I was one of those candidates. And to your point, when I started getting calls from Variety and Entertainment Weekly and The Hollywood Reporter Etc. Saying, "Hey, you want this job? Who are you?" Yeah. <laughs> in some cases, uh, I didn't talk to the press, which is kind of an interesting thing when you're in the press. But first of all, I didn't know whether or not I was going to get the job. But also, the last thing I wanted to do was come across as campaigning for this gig. So, and once I did get the job, it's a very interesting thing, and you've been through some of this as well where you go from this is very cool, then all of a sudden David Letterman's making fun of you in his monologue and The Simpsons got you in a joke and Mad Magazine's doing a picture of you, all of which I thought was pretty fucking cool, even when they were making fun of me. But it's a daunting thing. And, you know, for whoever takes over the Jeopardy slot, listen, the same thing happened with uh, when it was Regis and Kathy Lee and they found, I think, the perfect replacement in Kelly Ripa. Now they've had 27 co-hosts since then as they as it continues to evolve. But... That's the question I have for you. Do you go on Jeopardy? Do you go with a known entity? Or do you find someone who's just really, really good where you go the Conan O'Brien route, for example. Yeah. When Conan O'Brien, who was a writer, gets hired and everyone goes, who's that? But then you get to know him and you feel like you helped to discover him. Which way do you go for Jeopardy? I would go that way. I would go with somebody who's less well-known but is a really good pilot for the show. That's what you need. You need a yeah. steady hand at the wheel. You don't necessarily need somebody who is famous because Alex Trebek was not famous. Actually, game show hosts are not known for their fame. They're known for the luckiest people alive because it's the greatest gig. You end up working 10, 12 weeks a year and you make millions of dollars. You can do whatever else you want within reason on the outside of those gigs because you don't want to necessarily tarnish your image. But if you're making tens of millions of dollars, what do you care? What else do you got to do? Yeah. I, the only thing about that job is boredom. I had a similar experience. I got tapped to replace Paul Harvey, one of the great radio legends right, right. in the history of the medium. He died. I was on a plane. I landed in Miami, and I looked at my phone, and it was blowing up. Mm. People were calling me to tell me that Paul Harvey had died. An executive from ABC Radio, the distributor of Paul Harvey News, mm called me and said, hey, would you audition? Mm. And I was on an anniversary trip with my wife, and we were in the Bahamas. I spent the whole week writing and and preparing myself for this. 
did not spend a minute with my wife on our anniversary trip. That marriage did not last. I, not in part because of that, but maybe in part because of that. And I got the job. And I thought, man, I have made it. Mm. And I learned a very important lesson. Never replace a legend. Yeah. yeah. Never. No good can come of it. And so what we developed was uh, based on what ABC was trying to do and what consultants were telling us to do, which was build a modern young version of Mm. Paul Harvey News. Mm. So I built a program that was all about news commentary with pop music behind it that I thought would be kind of fun to do. And uh, it was an artistic success and a commercial complete failure. Yeah, but I would argue that it wouldn't have been a failure because it was great stuff, but it was the fact that it was billed as and was the replacement for Paul Harvey. If you had had been doing this on a parallel track, it might have done great. I think it would have done great. And you're absolutely right about replacing or succeeding a legend. The only reason I took the job was that there was Roger Ebert, the legend, as my partner to guide me through every step of the way and had my back. I mean, listen, I got eviscerated and I, I understand people were the same thing. They were like, wait a minute, this guy, is he even a movie critic? And here's here's the list of the 700 people who were more qualified than Richard <laughs> Roper for the job. But Roger Ebert gave the endorsement. Disney management at the time, decisions went all the way up to Michael Eisner and Bob Iger. And they said, we're not going to have somebody be the co-host of this show that Roger Ebert doesn't want. They created, Roger and Gene created this franchise. So everywhere we went on the interview circuit or every time he got interviewed solo about me, when Roger is saying, you're the guy for the job, then people say, okay, I guess he must be the guy for the job. So I had that cushion throughout you know, the decade, almost decade that we were together. But I think with the Jeopardy thing, you're seeing a, a very similar situation where no matter who it is, the initial wave of write-ups are going to be he's no Alex Trebek or she's no Alex Trebek. My personal choice, uh, who I've been campaigning for, who has indicated no interest whatsoever, is our friend Aisha Tyler, who is uh, done everything, is a great actress, is a writer, a stand-up comic, uh, brilliant Dartmouth grad, funny, warm, wonderful. I think she'd be great at it. Uh, I don't know necessarily that she even wants to but i think she'd be great i'm with you though i think when it comes down to it find someone who's a talented podcaster for example who has a great following on the podcast we're not i'm not mm-hmm. talking about us don't look at that oh, i'm saying just us. thinking you mean, just remember saying. the guy who replaced paul harvey <laughs> and it didn't work out this i think could be, be his chance perfect but i really mean it like somebody who's got a, a, a you know a well-respected following because of their podcast or someone who i mean definitely has a career in broadcasting and i'm not i'm not saying that this makes them obscure but perhaps someone from npr perhaps someone whose face isn't known to millions of americans but certainly has the experience Mm. and you put them in that position i think they got to get away from the celebrity stunt casting at some point i don't think any of the people they've mentioned so far are either the perfect fit or necessarily want the gig and you can't keep doing lavar burton wants the gig well lavar burton he hasn't had a chance yet and you know what if he kills that would be pretty awesome but but if they continue on all right this right now they've got guest hosts listed until midsummer. You can't go on for a year and a half saying no. different celebrities because you know what's going to happen? A lot of the hardcore audience is going to go away because they're like, Absolutely. I'm not here for the host. I'm here to see if that English professor from Cleveland <laughs> is going to win for the fourth straight day. Yeah, no, absolutely true. I'm afraid that if LeVar Burton gets this, he'll be too anxious about it because it is his dream job. That's true. You know, they were talking about Laura Coates, who is a contributor at CNN, Mm -hmm. contributor and anchor at CNN, and they just gave her her own show 
at CNN, and they clearly are going to be developing her. And I think she used the fact that Jeopardy was interested in her to secure ah. that Time Warner gig with CNN. So she sent a note saying, Laura Coates, who is finding a new job at CNN? <laughs> right. right. Coming up, what not to watch and the Thursday Three. But first, I would like to tell you about Portillo's, known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to their poppy seed bun, and of course, their legendary chocolate cake. If you listen to Tuesday's podcast, we go on and on and on about the chocolate cake and Hong Kong. You'll have to listen to that to figure it out. But that's just the beginning. The menu is bursting with a mouth-watering variety of favorites from the charbroiled burgers to Italian beef sandwiches, cheese fries, chopped salads, a Chicagoland favorite since 1963. Portillo's has moved on to the entire nation. They're throughout the Midwest, in California, in Florida, in Arizona. Order curbside pickup or deliver today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the U.S. of A. by ordering at portillos.com. And now to my favorite segment of the week, what not to watch. Save me some time. Yep. As the saying goes, I watch them so you don't have to. I want to start off with a real disappointment here, Ro. It's called Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. This is the heavily hyped new Netflix sitcom starring Jamie Foxx, who is returning to his sitcom TV roots, of course, he first hit big with In Living Color, mm -hmm. and then the Jamie Foxx show, and now all these years later with all kinds of awards, including the Academy Award, he's yeah. one of the great entertainers of the last quarter century. For sure. He comes back with a standard sitcom, 26 minutes episode show, and Dad Stop Embarrassing Me is loosely based on the diaries of his oldest daughter when she was a teenager, because as, as you well know... Having had a, a daughter who continues to this day to sometimes say, Dad, stop embarrassing me as a grown woman. Yeah. It doesn't matter how cool your dad is to the outside world. It doesn't matter that your dad is Jamie Foxx. He's still doing those things that embarrass you. So in the sitcom, he doesn't play Jamie Foxx. He plays a guy named Brian who's a single father because every other sitcom in the history of sitcoms has a single parent family. The Disney and, thing almost where you have yeah. to kill off the mother. Yeah, yeah. And they only they almost never refer we to this day we don't know what happened to the two Brady parents that were never seen, right? <laughs> we right. know about the lovely lady and yeah. this fellow, but yeah. they, they never mention they never mention the actual biological parents on the other side for those kids. Mm -hmm. So in this case they do allude in the in the pilot that the mother has passed away, so now the teenage daughter is going to move in with her father. She's moving to Atlanta. Shockingly enough, this okay. show is set in Atlanta. Bro, I was shocked at how uh, tired and uninspired and sometimes tasteless this comedy is. It also has the break the fourth wall thing where Jamie Foxx's character turns to the camera to comment on what's happening, which started with George Burns in the 1950s and went all the way through shows like Moonlighting and Saved by the Bell and yeah. recently House of Cards. That's been done to death. But it's also done in a very old-fashioned manner. It has that sitcom laugh track that goes back to I Dream of Jeannie. I mean, it's the same laugh track. They use the same laugh track, the same kind of crummy-looking sets. And on top of all that, Jamie Foxx, in addition to playing Brian, the single dad, he plays some other characters like a flamboyant reverend, the Reverend Sweet Tea, mm -hmm. and he plays an old man like he would do in a sketch show, like right. in Living Color. But this is not a sketch show. This is supposed to be the real lives of these people. So it's all over the place. It's not funny. It's jarringly bad. Hmm. 
I know that they were shooting it during the pandemic. It's one of the few productions that was actually going on. So I want to give them a little bit of credit for trying because it's an amazing cast. Yeah, David Allen Greer, uh, Jamie Foxx's old in living color uh, running mate, plays his dad, even though he's like, I think, about 12 years older than Jamie Foxx. But he's got the big white beard, so he plays Pops. He's the grandfather named Pops. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a very likable cast. Uh, it has kind of a sunny disposition, but it has some really weird one-liners and premises. And then it's a lot of the same stuff. Dad puts on skinny jeans, and he's embarrassing his teenage daughter. Dad starts dancing in public. Dad wants to sing karaoke. All this kind of stuff we've seen a million times before. What else should we not watch? Vanquish. And this is one of those slick thrillers where you get that techno music and the drone shots of the city. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman, the great Morgan Freeman, he plays a decorated ex-cop who was a criminal, row. So he's got oh. this giant house and he got wounded in action. So he's a cop hero to the public. But in reality, he's a criminal mastermind. So he's, oh. he's in a wheelchair and he's in this giant mansion. And he needs someone to pick up the drop money at five different locations on one night and make millions of dollars. And he's got an assistant. Ruby Rose plays the assistant. Turns out, conveniently, that she used to be kind of an assassin. So <laughs> he sends her out to pick up the dough. Now, why would she want to do that? Well, because Morgan Freeman has kidnapped her daughter. So he's kidnapped his assistant's daughter. And he goes, you don't get your daughter back unless you go get me my money. And then she just goes and gets in a bunch of gunfights. Uh, so slick, good-looking film with the terrific cast that's just crapola. So Vanquish, not to watch. Not to watch should be vanquished from your roster of <laughs> things to see. Do not watch Vanquish. Okay, the Thursday three. Here are three things you should watch this weekend. This is really cool. American Oz on PBS. This is a documentary. It's not a documentary series. We talked about Hemingway a couple of weeks ago, which was a three-part series. This is just a complete documentary film, American Oz, and it's about L. Frank Baum. Mm -hmm. Now you'd say, who is L. Frank Baum? He wrote The Wonderful Wizard of Oz in 1900, which is the classic American fairy tale, which became a huge sensation as a book, and then he did all kinds of sequels, but of course is most famously known as the basis for The Wizard of Oz, one of the most beloved films of all time, and then The Wiz a generation later, and then Wicked. So you could make the argument that The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is is right up there with anything Twain or anybody else has done in terms of source material, Row, This is all about the guy, though, L. Frank Baum, fascinating guy he tried all kinds of different things before he became a professional author at one point he's out there in the dakotas opening a a store he's trying to he's got a newspaper he's trying to keep uh, the peace between the indian tribes and the and the white man as they're settling he becomes a baseball fan and and has a team the hub city nine like in the 1870s so he was trying all these different things but he always wanted to be a writer and he based The Wonderful Wizard of Oz sort of on some of his experiences, you know, going to the prairie and seeing the great American dream kind of die. And he actually wrote it when he was in Chicago, and it became this huge bestseller. But it's about his entire life and times, which are fascinating. It's called American Oz, and you can get that on good old-fashioned PBS. And if you donate some money to PBS, they still send you that tote bag. <laughs> the tote bag is actually more popular now than it was when PBS invented it. There was nothing to tote back in the day. Now everybody needs a tote bag. What's number two on the Thursday three? This one's interesting. Now, this is a documentary series. It's on HBO. It's called Wall Street, but it's not about Wall Street. It's about 
Mark Wahlberg. So it's Wall Street, W-A-H-L. Now, Mark Wahlberg, of course, everybody knows him from the Funky Bunch. And then he became, uh, you know, this. <laughs> really? This... I don't think anybody remembers him from the Funky Good Bunch Good vibrations, now. man. And yeah. Calvin Klein, underwear model and yeah. all that stuff. And it's then uh, went on to become and still is an A-list actor. I mean, you got to look at the movies he no, did. He amazing. has done and they're they're pretty great. And he's an entrepreneur. People know about uh, Wahlburgers, the, the hamburger chain his brother does. And that became a reality series. But this is all about all of his business endeavors as he's getting into fitness stores and water and a clothing line. And he also kind of almost does a Shark Tank type thing where he meets with various business hopefuls week in and week out and decides if he's going to invest in them. Now, the thing about this is, Ro, it's a little bit of an infomercial for Mark Wahlberg because Mark Wahlberg is the executive producer of Wall Street on HBO and his relationship with HBO goes all the way back to Entourage, which was loosely based on his own experiences as an up-and-coming star. But it's fascinating because he does give us that full access. And there's a little bit of a lifestyles of the rich and famous inside look because we're in his house. We see him interacting with his kids who are adorable. We get on the private jet with him as he goes off to film an action movie when he goes to premieres. But early on in this series, the pandemic hits. And then you see how everything changes, even for a multi-zillionaire business person, because all of a sudden he can't make movies and the fitness centers are shutting down and the Wahlburger stores are closing down. And listen, we know Mark Wahlberg's going to be okay through all this, but he's working with a lot of people who are regular employees and even some of his investors that are doing second mortgages and stuff. So it's interesting to see him go through all that. It's a little sign of the times kind of film. It really is. And he, he does, series. you know, and, and again, I know we're talking about a guy who's 0.001%. He's earned all that money. Uh, yes, he has his own personal gym flown to whatever international city he's at <laughs> where he's making a movie. Yeah, he's on the private jet. The house, even as far as A-list Hollywood Beverly Hills mansions goes, is unbelievable. <laughs> so while everybody else was dealing with the quarantine in relatively tight quarters, he does have a backyard, if you will, that includes a full-length basketball court with the Celtics logo, a waterfall overlooking the enormous pool, a chipping and putting green. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a different life. But he doesn't he doesn't you know shy away from that. He's this is his life. This is what he's dealing with. He knows that ninety nine percent of the population is going through a lot more difficult times than he is. But it's still a fascinating glimpse into his life. His life story is a really great inspirational story of a kid who set out to have bad intentions. Did a lot of bad things when he was a kid, teenager. He robbed stores. He was involved in all kinds of petty crime. He actually resulted in a guy losing his eye. Yeah, Yeah, horrific stuff. And he turned his life around and became a super devout Catholic, gave his life over to his faith, to the American dream, and hit a grand slam, went to the Hall of Fame, one of the all-time greats. I think he's a great inspiration to kids who might be on a path, no matter where you live, what community you're from, what city you live in, or the small town you live in, you have these brushes with the law, you just decided you're angry and you're not going to make anything out of your life, you're going to ruin everybody else's life, and you have that spark moment where you think, maybe I should go in a different direction. Mark Wahlberg's story is the perfect story to tell of how if you have your mind right and you have the discipline to pull something off, you can do anything. That's very well said. And as you watch this uh, series, again, it's a six-part series called Wall Street. And they're just half-hour episodes. They're very bingeable. 
But there's one thing you can't deny, whether before the pandemic or during it or after, this guy works his ass off. You get exhausted watching him get up at 3 in the morning and the workouts he does and then all the meetings and the filming and everything. And he is very aware and he talks about how lucky he is, but he will outwork you every step of the way as well. So it's called Wall Street. It's on HBO six-part series. And finally, at number one on the Thursday three, this is great. This is an HBO limited drama series. It's called The Mayor of Easttown. The Mayor, that's because the lead character played by Kate Winslet is named Mary. Everybody calls her Mayor. She's the Mayor of Easttown. She's actually not the Mayor of this Pennsylvania town. She's a police detective where all kinds of shit is going on. And she grew up in this town. She was a high school basketball star. And now it's 25 years later. And she's been through the ringer, divorced, you know, problems with the kids, uh, you know, men are kind of a pain in her ass and she feels like the world's weight is on her shoulders. And then people start turning up missing and dead in Uh-oh. East Town, including teenage girls. And there's one missing and then there's possibly some sort of serial killer. So it almost has a silence of the lambs type thing as she's trying to investigate this stuff. And it's got wildly over the top soap opera stuff. There's affairs and double crossings. It's sort of like uh, a lot of these glamorous series we've seen that are set like in Cal- you know, like Big Little Lies, but this is like Big Little Working Class Lies. So we're seeing stuff. I mean, it's it's crazy. Every episode, it's like, oh, geez, that guy just got his head blown off. And, oh, I didn't know this person was having an affair. Nobody's telling the truth to anybody else. But it's great acting from Kate Winslet and the supporting cast. You'll see like at least a half dozen actors like Julianne Nicholson, where you might not know the name, but you see her and you're like, oh my gosh, I've seen her in so many things. And they're all so good in this. I really love this. It's called The Mayor of Easttown, HBO limited drama series. Kate Winslet has been one of our best actors for 20 plus years. Some are saying this is her best performance and it's right up there, I gotta say. The Mayor of Easttown, that is what to watch on the Thursday Three. Don't forget, this is your last chance. This is it. It closes right now as you're listening to this. And it might be, as Richard mentioned earlier, too late to take part in Beat the Experts. If you think you know who's going to win the Academy Awards, go to AmericanEagle.com slash ballot, and you could win one of the coolest prize packages. If you're a movie fan, you will ever 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 have you'll give it to your kids your grandkids your great grandkids and they will say back in the 20th century (laughs) this is what people won on what was then called the 20th century i thought it was the 20th whatever one of these centuries i've had to kick you out of the prize closet a couple times because you're in there (laughs) oh this looks nice i'm like those are for the contestants only you know what i meant the 21st century The, the 23rd century that suitcase that we're going to be giving to one lucky winner is going to be passed along, passed along, passed along, and they're going to Antiques Roadshow, which will still be on in the That's 23rd true. century. They'll, it'll be on that, although it'll be in a chip in your brain, huh. and people go, would it surprise you to learn that this is worth 30 million Zogborts? <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> All right. Uh, that does it for today's activity. Let me just tell you about who brings you this fine program. Who's responsible it's for actually, this? It's actually not a program. It's a podcast. I got to take that. You guy. sound like the guy in the commercial yes. now. If you needed to print out a map for directions, you're in the right place. Yes, I'm Dr. Rick's best patient. Because I just said it was the 20th century. Yeah. 
This episode is brought to you by, as they all are, AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and tell all of your friends, executive producers for Screen Time, Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson. Our music and production director is Brian Altimer. We'll see you next time.